Welcome back to Cato Daily Podcast. This is Anastasia Glova on Monday, April 23rd. Recently, Cato scholar Timothy Lynch testified before the House Subcommittee on Crime, Terrorism, and Homeland Security on whether Congress should enact additional hate crimes legislation. Lynch argued that, in addition to being impractical, the proposed hate crimes bill tramples over powers that are delegated to Congress. You can read his testimony on the Cato website, or you can listen to this following podcast interview. What is the impetus for this latest wave of hate crime legislation? Well, there's no recent news event that is prompting the Congress to act to say that we need hate crimes legislation because of this news event, like the failure of a state government to prosecute some awful crime. It's really just the Democrats having wanted to expand hate crimes legislation. They've been unable to do it in past years. Now that they control the Congress, they're moving this legislation forward. You just testified in Congress against this legislation. Are your objections based on constitutional grounds, or do you just see this as an effectual policy? I have both constitutional and policy objections to the legislation, and so I advanced several arguments to the Congressional Committee as to why this legislation should be rejected. Okay, let's focus on the constitutional objections first. Well, the constitutional objection is pretty basic. It's a reminder to the Congress that our Constitution creates a federal government of limited powers. And the Tenth Amendment says that the powers that are not delegated to the federal government are reserved to the states. And crime fighting is a very important governmental responsibility, but is one of those powers that was reserved to state governments. The federal government should not be involved in garden variety criminal offenses, but even serious offenses such as murder, child abuse, assault with a deadly weapon. These are serious things, obviously, but it's something for the state and local police to handle. But there's nothing new about Congress making crime a federal issue. After all, we have the Federal Bureau of Investigation, for example. Well, it's true we do have an FBI and several other federal law enforcement agencies, and it's true that Congress has been adding to the criminal code over the years. But that's like saying that the federal government is wasting money, and that's nothing new. Obviously, we want to call the government out when it's wasting money and spending things on things that it shouldn't do. And in the same vein, we should be reminding Congress about the proper role of the federal government when it comes to crime fighting. There are certain things that the federal government should not be getting involved in. And I made this point to the congressional committees is that, yes, we do have an FBI, but that agency should be focusing on foreign threats such as al-Qaeda and terrorist groups and espionage. It should not be getting into violent offenses, again, things that can be handled by state and local police. Can states handle major violent crime on their own? They can handle crime on their own. We're talking about the things that everybody's concerned about is violent offenses, people getting killed, people being assaulted with a deadly weapon, arson, these types of things. So these are core criminal offenses, something that state and local governments can handle. But that's not to say that state and local police do not sometimes abuse their power. Sometimes they do, but we should not buy into the assumption that the federal government is always comes in riding to the rescue as if they don't abuse their power. We have to remember that federal prosecutors, you know, prosecuted people for being involved in the Underground Railroad during World War II. It was the federal government that locked up Japanese Americans during the 1960s. It was the FBI that was surveilling anti-war protesters and harassing Martin Luther King. So my argument isn't that state and local police never Never abuse their power. It's just to remind people that the federal government abuses its power as well, and we have to keep them within their assigned spheres under the Constitution. So what then are your policy objections? 
The policy objections is, number one, the law is not necessary because all of the violent offenses that would be covered by a federal hate crimes law is already against the law at the state and local level. These are violent offenses that are prosecuted every day by state and local police. The bill is called the Hate Crimes Prevention Act, but it's not going to prevent any hate crime from occurring. Anybody who's already inclined to shoot or stab another human being has already decided to violate a basic homicide statute. So the idea that they're going to lay down their weapon because Congress has passed the Hate Crimes Prevention Act of 2007 is just naive. The bill will also create more problems than it's going to solve. Uh, a lot of people say, well, you know, maybe it will have a positive impact, maybe it won't, but why don't we just pass it and see what happens? But the bill also has counterproductive side effects, one of which, which I stressed to the committee, is that it diverts the FBI from its core mission, which I think should be concentrating on al-Qaeda, seeing if there's any terrorists trying to sneak into the country to perpetrate another 9-11. That should be the FBI's focus to the extent to which limited federal government resources are diverted away from that to investigate an arson case or a murder case is a distraction and it could be a serious distraction. Also it just exacerbates I think intergroup conflicts. You'll have when prosecutors decide that the federal government is going to get involved and the FBI is going to start investigating a hate crime, some groups are going to be upset by that. They're going to be like, why is the federal government getting involved in this? You know, this should be handled at the local level. I mean, you can just imagine if a federal prosecutor in North Carolina suddenly decided to indict the Duke lacrosse players as being a violent hate crime against women just after we've gone through all of this ordeal at the local level. And if a U.S. attorney decides not to get involved, people will be upset about that too. So whenever the federal prosecutors make a decision, if they're drawn into this area, when they do get involved, people will get upset. And when they don't get involved, people will get upset. So it's just not going to bring about the social harmony that some people think that hate crimes legislation will ease intergroup tension. It's actually more likely to exacerbate tension. So it's another reason why we shouldn't just get involved in this area in the first place. All right. Thank you, Tim. Remember, April 22nd was Earth Day. According to Cato scholar Jerry Taylor, it is businessmen, not bureaucrats or environmental activists, who deserve most of the credit for environmental gains over the past century and who represent the best hope for a greener tomorrow. Make sure to look at some of the research at Cato's Environment and Climate Studies program. Among the highlights is Indor Goklani's book, The Improving State of the World, Why We're Living Longer, Healthier, More Comfortable Lives on a Cleaner Planet.